Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. I'm excited because today we are concluding what has been a really, really special three weeks in Psalm 23. And uh, I told you a few weeks ago that we normally kind of go a different direction in November. We kind of take this this holistic view of thanksgiving or gratitude or leaving a legacy and how we live our lives. But uh, a few weeks ago, you know, maybe two months ago now, a month and a half ago, I really felt the Lord leading me to this passage of Scripture in Psalm 23. And so we spent the last two weeks just kind of digging in, kind of going a little deeper into this text. And so today I want to conclude this effort of the Good Shepherd as we look to the Psalms and we look at perhaps the most famous psalm uh, that's there in the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to go with me to Psalm 23. If you don't have a printed Bible and you want one, you can go to the information center today and get one. We'll give that to you for free. But if you've got a device, you can follow along there as well. Psalm 23 is written by King David, uh, and he is the psalmist here as he, the, he, who was a former shepherd himself writing about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and all of the things that we've already been reading these last few weeks. And so today we want to conclude that. And each week what we've done is we've read the entire psalm. It's only six verses. And then we've chosen a portion of the psalm to really kind of put roots down for a few minutes. And that's what we'll do. And then at the end of our time today, we're going to celebrate baptism together. And so I'm excited to do that as well. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everybody say forever. Forever. And that's really where we're going to spend our time today is in that last verse of Psalm 23, verse 6. It says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, it's only one verse, so you would think it's going to be really, really quick, and hopefully it will be. But we'll spend just a few minutes here looking at this one verse that concludes the psalm that's been so rich. The text has been so rich. And what we've done each week is we've kind of taken it phrase by phrase, verse by verse. Because it's only one verse, you would think, okay, then how are we going to do this? We're going to really break it down almost by word, not because we have to, but because there's so much here that we could do. So buckle up, take some notes. Uh, I believe this could be what the Lord is speaking to us today. Let's just go to that very first word of Psalm 23 and verse 6. It says this, surely, surely, right? And the the word here is this positive affirmation. It means to be set in stone. It's most accurately translated, and today we are going to kind of dig into some of the original language because there is so much richness there. But in the original language, the word surely here could be more accurately translated, and it is in several translations, assuredly. Now, I don't use the word assuredly in everyday language usually, uh, but, but when I hear it, it, it reminds me of something that's like locked in, like assuredly. Right? I'm not thinking there's a lot of wiggle room there. And so to begin this final verse of Psalm 23, we are assured of something. What are we assured of? The very next thing that we read, goodness. We are assured of his 
goodness. Now, I use the word good pretty regularly in everyday language. It's a, a fairly common word in the English language, and it could describe a lot of things, right? You know, the meal that you ate, it was good. You know, your friends, oh, they're good friends, right? My, my team's not great, but they're not good either. But still, you understand what I'm saying. It's a word that we use on a pretty regular basis. But again, if you dig into the original language, and in this portion of the Bible, the Old Testament, when we say original language, we're talking about the Hebrew language. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I definitely have studied the Hebrew language in some of my seminary training, but like, I'm not a scholar by any stretch. But in some of the resources that I use, when I go to understand what these words mean, I'm reminded of other places that the word good or goodness is used. In the original language, this word, in kind of the alliteration, what, the English way that you would say this word is tov, tov. And so if you dig in and try to understand where the word tov is used, it's used a number of times throughout Scripture. But my favorite places that it's used when I'm referencing or thinking about what God might be saying to us through the psalmist here in Psalm 23, that assuredly his goodness is chasing after and following us, this same word goodness or good, this same word tov is used in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 10, in Genesis 1, 12, 1, 18, 1, 21, 1, 25, and 1, 31. Now, if you are a Bible scholar or you know scripture at all, in each of those places, this is the account of creation. And so God is creating all that was and all that is, and every time that he comes to the end of one of his creative days, one of his creative works, he surveys that work and he says, it is tov. It is good. As he's created all of these things that we can see, and he's created all that was and all that is, and then we come to verse 31, after he surveys everything, the totality of his creation, including humanity, he declares it to be very tov, very good. Now, my mom taught me when I was a little kid that God don't make no junk, right? I don't know if your mom ever taught you that, but that's what my mom taught me, that God don't make no junk, And God recognized that himself because at the end of every one of those creative days, he he looked it over and he said, man, this is good. And he gets to the end of creating all that was and all that is, including humanity, and he said, this is very good. It was his best work. It was his best effort. It was all that he could put together to create all that would be here in our context of living It's God's goodness, and it's that very same goodness that the psalmist is describing when he says, assuredly, you can bank on it. You can know for sure that that best of God, the goodness of God, is chasing after you, that no matter where you go and what you do, no matter how fast you may try to run away from him, you cannot escape the tov, the goodness of God. And I think that's such a great reminder for all of us Because to recognize that God's goodness, that his best efforts, that his best work is chasing after us, that's like a reassurance to all of us, or it should be, that surely, concretely, steadfastly, his best work, his best effort is given toward you, given towards me. That's not the only thing that's chasing humanity. It's his goodness and what? His mercy. Now, this one's interesting because it isn't as cut and dry as goodness. In fact, this word in the original language can be and is in the English language is translated into a number of different words. 
So if you go to the Hebrew word that is translated here as mercy, it is also translated into as many as 14 other words in other English translations of Scripture. But the most common of those translations is just three things. And I've asked them to put all of these up on the screen. So the, the most common translation of this is the word mercy. It is translated 149 times as the word mercy, which is defined as withholding the required punishment for sin. So this definition of mercy, which is used 149 times from this original word in the Hebrew scriptures, is to withhold the required punishment. Not to withhold something from someone like in a mean way. There is a required punishment. It is required, it is the penalty for the sin, the penalty for the act, the penalty for the transgression. Like, I know that if I speed, I'm going to get a ticket, right? I'm going to get caught, I'm going to get a ticket. If I get pulled over, like, I got to go pay that fine. But if I showed up at court, and this rarely ever happens, but if I showed up at court and the judge says, you know what, we're just not going to punish you today, what would I call that? Mercy. Because there is a requirement to be paid for the sin, the transgression that I am absolutely guilty of. And so the word here is translated 149 times as the word mercy. Here's the second most common translation. It's not the word mercy, but it is the word kindness. The word kindness is used 40 times out of the same original Hebrew word. And it means to show compassion towards someone who doesn't deserve it. So if you've got like an arch enemy at work, right? You got somebody that's just mean to you. If you're a student and you got a, you got a kid at school that's just mean to you, they're just unkind to you. They're, they're, just, they're just not nice. They're a mean girl, mean guy. Compassion or kindness here is, is extending to them something that they don't deserve. And then the third most common reference here in the original language moving into English is loving kindness. Again, not a word we use a lot in the English language. But over 30 times, this word is translated in the English language into loving kindness, and it just means faithful love in action. Faithful love in action. So the original Hebrew word that we are using here for mercy in the psalm could actually be translated a lot of different ways. And here's what I did, did not to try to add to Scripture, but I just tried to take all of these contexts, all of these three most... Uh, common uses of this word, and I tried to create a definition for us to understand. Beyond his goodness, what is it that's chasing after us? And here's what I came up with, faithfully withholding punishment and extending love to a guilty party. Faithfully withholding punishment and extending love to a guilty party. So you've got the goodness of God, his best efforts, his best work that is chasing after us. And then you have his faithfulness, which withholds punishment from us and instead extends love to us. Like that's chasing after and running after us. And here's, here's what's so difficult for us to understand. In our lives, almost all of our relationships are in some form conditional, right? There has to be a condition to be met for us to receive that kind of love or affection. And so what we do is we generally approach God with that same conditional thought or attitude. That as long as I do right, as long as I do well, as long as my behavior matches what it is that I'm supposed to do and supposed to be, then God will love me. But what we're reading here in Psalm 23 is that it is unconditional. That surely, in spite of anything, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, surely, set in stone, concrete, his goodness, his best effort, his best work, 
and his mercy, this faithfulness that comes after us and gives us love instead of punishment is chasing after us all the days of our lives. And I think that's a really powerful picture for all of us because we can't escape it. We can't earn it. There's nothing that we can do good or bad that diminishes or increases it in our lives. It's just something that God himself initiates towards us. That's a powerful picture of God. And it is my opinion that if we get that picture of God, it will change the way that we approach God. If we understand how much he loves us, and if we understand how he loves us, it changes the way that we respond to him and how we love him in return. So I want to jump to the very end of Psalm 23.6. I want to jump all the way to the end. I'm skipping over something we'll come back to in a minute. I had you repeat part of this a second ago, but it says this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is referencing a place to come. I want you to think, and I said this a little bit last week, I want you to think of where we started in Psalm 23. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. So I have envisioned immediately, you know, a stinky shepherd with a bunch of stinky sheep out in the middle of a field. And then that, that psalm continues to work and progress into green pastures and into still waters, and it moves and moves and moves until now the shepherd is preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And now his goodness and his, his mercy is following after and chasing us. And then what? Now we've moved from the field into a dwelling place with the Lord. He's talking about a literal place here. Jesus was not shy in his ministry on earth talking about heaven. Sometimes we get a little bit shy because there are so many parts of Scripture that are referencing heaven that we don't fully understand. And I wouldn't even begin to stand up here today and try to explain to you a bunch about heaven because there's still so much about heaven that I don't understand. But I believe it, we as a church believe it to be a literal place. It's not just some kind of like the best of our minds and where we can conjure up. No, we believe it to be a literal place. And Jesus himself talked about this in John chapter 14 when he said this in verse 1 through 6. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place, a literal place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go now, where I go you know the way and the way you know. Okay, let me just read that one again. Got all of tongue-tied there. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going and how we can... Okay, but y'all just stretch your hands and pray for me right here. <laughs> and Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, one of the most famous verses in all of scripture, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is talking about a literal place. He says he's going to prepare a place. It's interesting that he was preparing a table for us in the previous verse of the psalm, but he goes to prepare a place for us. And he desires, according to his own words, when he was in ministry on the earth, that none would perish and that all would experience eternal life that comes from him. But do not be mistaken, especially in the present context, but it's not the only context of history where this has been prevalent. There are not many ways to get to that place. There are not many ways to get to heaven. There are not many ways to get to eternal life with God. There are a lot of people that would try to convince you that there's a lot of different ways and 
and moral deism, which is just like being a good person and earning your own morality, and that is your God, is not a way that you can get there. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And if you want to get to the Father, and if you want to get to the place that I'm preparing for you, you have to come through me. You have to come through the cross of Jesus Christ, which was still something that was going to happen in his life when he was speaking these words in John chapter 14. And so for all of us that are trying to figure out, like, what is it that happens beyond this life? What is grander than us, bigger than us? What extends beyond the number of our days? We have to recognize that the only way to get to that dwelling place with the Lord is through the sacrifice and the cross of Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of salvation that comes from him. And so no matter what you're trying to stack up in good works and being good enough, no matter what good beliefs we have in all of these other things, the only way to get to the place that he is preparing for us is through him. And so we say, okay, well then how do I earn that? That's where we started. You can't earn it. You receive it. In every other faith on the planet throughout history, it's about earning something towards eternal life. And Jesus actually did all of that work himself. He took on all of our sins so that we could take on his righteousness. So that when we stand on that judgment day and we believe that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess, that on that day, you don't get to stand there in your good works. You don't get to stand there and say, look what I've accomplished. And you don't get to stand there. I don't get to stand there and say, look how many sermons I've preached. And and look at our church and look at the good we were doing in our community. The only thing that we will do on that day is say, what did I do with Jesus? How did I respond to the sacrifice of the cross? And if you're trying to figure out how to earn it, you're wasting a lot of energy and a lot of effort. Why? Because assuredly, concretely, set in stone, Before you could earn it, before you could be good enough, before you could give or serve or attend as faithfully as you knew how, his goodness and his mercy has been chasing after you. The book of Romans says it this way, that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love in this, that he sent his one and only son to the cross while we were still sinners. He died for you not because of your goodness. He died for you out of his goodness towards us. And so we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's let's put these phrases together in this one verse of Scripture. This assuredly concrete thought of his goodness and his mercy that's extended to us, that's chasing after us, And then you bridge all the way to the end and you go, hey, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is this middle part that I left out. I kind of did that intentionally because I thought this is where we could kind of wrap our time up. It says this, all the days of my life, surely his goodness and his mercy will follow me when all the days of my life. Now, this phrase is literally the counting of days. You remember when you were a kid and you were like counting down till Christmas? Maybe some of you are counting down till Christmas right now, right? You know what you've asked for. You're hoping your spouse has gotten the hint. You're hoping your family members have gotten it. You've sent them your Amazon wish list seven times this week. You're just hoping and praying and believing that they're gonna get the hint. Maybe you can think about counting the days till a birthday, counting down the days until something that you were anticipating. Surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow me 
all the days, a literal counting of days. But it's not a never-ending counting. So His goodness and His mercy are available to us, chasing us every single day of our lives. Every single day that we are here on the earth. And that's what God does for us. In fact, it says this in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We read in week one, in verse one, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. The shepherd provides for us, but not just us. When we're reading in the Old Testament text, One of my favorite like chunks of scripture is the story of the children of Israel. I'm going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow night when I'm speaking at one of our local neighborhoods. The story of the children of Israel as they're they're coming out of captivity, they're coming out of enslavement, and they're moving towards the promises of God that were promised to Father Abraham. But they came out of slavery, they came out of bondage. And in bondage, while things were terrible, they never had to wonder if they were going to eat. Their their captors, their masters provided every meal for them. Now, in exchange for those meals, they had to work, work themselves to the bone, work themselves sometimes to death. They were beaten when they didn't meet the quota of the work that was asked of them, required of them. So they come after trusting God, the Passover experience, the plagues, and Moses leads them out in a miraculous way, leads them out across dry land as the waters are rolled back, and they find themselves out in the desert. And it took three days for them to start to grumble and complain. I don't think it would have taken me that long. Once I've skipped the first meal, I'd have been talking to God about it. It Took them three days, nine meals. Stomach's hungry. Stomach's making noise, so they start making noise. And they come to Moses and they say, hey, it would have been better off for us to be back there in Egypt. Really, it would have been better off to be back there enslaved. Well, we just never had to think about what we wanted to eat. We never would have had to worry about where our next meal was coming from. And God heard the cries of his people. And he responds to them. And he begins to send manna to them. These little kind of of grain-type wafers, seed-like things that would fall from the heavens. And you could kind of form them into almost like pancake patties. You could form them into like almost like tortillas. I'm just setting you up for lunch right now. Right? You could bring it together and capture it in a basket. You could make some food out of it. God says, I've heard your cries. I know there's something that you need. I know there's something that you want. And so I'm going to provide this every single day. So days one through five, you just gather enough for that one day. And scripture tells us that a miraculous thing happened every single day. Some gathered more, some gathered less. But when they went to count it, it was just enough for them and their family for that day. On day six, they were supposed to gather two days worth. Why? Because on the seventh day, they were supposed to rest and not gather anything. And it was amazing that if they gathered too much or tried to gather two days worth, days one through five, it would spoil overnight before day two. But on day six, it would keep overnight so that they had enough for day seven. Miraculous things that we just kind of glaze over as we read this text. So for the entire time that the children of Israel were in the desert as they moved towards the promised land, the words of Lamentation chapter three were absolutely true. That his mercy was new to them every morning. All they had to do is walk out of their tent and just gather up his mercy. 
gather up his love, gather up his provision. And there was enough for them to eat. There was enough for them to sustain themselves for one more day. They didn't want for anything. It was all the days of their life. God was enough for them. And in that season of time, they had to trust him. And they had to learn to trust him. Why? Because they were leaving a place of life that even as bad as it was, they had put their trust in mankind. They had put their trust in their slave masters. They had put their trust in their bosses and their jobs and their skills and their ability to meet the quotas. And they had put their trust in those things and in their own abilities. But they come into this season of wandering and they're moving towards a season of promise And they had to believe that God was enough for them every single day. All the days of their lives. And the same is true for me and for you. We have to wake up every day and not put our trust in ourselves or our jobs or our provision or our abilities or our charisma or our gifts. We have to put our trust in a God who is our provider. We have to put our trust in a God that we believe extends steadfast love to us and it never ceases. In a God whose goodness and his mercy chases after us all the days of our lives and his mercy never comes to an end according to Lamentations. They're new every single morning. Great is his faithfulness. So while we're here on earth, we get to see his goodness extended to us, goodness that we don't deserve. And then there comes this moment at some point in the, in the future when we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and the provision of God and the presence of God will be something different. So you could sum all of this up, Psalm 23, 6, in this way. Days here are about his goodness and forever there is about his presence. Days here are about witnessing his goodness towards us and forever there is about experiencing his presence. You aren't too far gone You just have to trust him. You have to trust his mercy, trust his love, that it's not conditionally based. Trust his forgiveness that's extended to you. You've got to step out of your tent every single day and receive his goodness and his mercy and his blessings. You have to cling with assurance to his consistency, that he's not good one day and bad the next. He's just good every day of our lives, all the days of our lives. And so in just a moment, we're going to celebrate baptism together. These are some people that have trusted God and his goodness and his forgiveness and his mercy. And they're going to go public with the work that God has done privately in their heart and their life. And what we always do when we come to this moment is we give you an opportunity that if you want to be baptized, but you didn't register, you didn't sign up, you didn't bring extra clothes just to come and to get baptized and to drive home wet. To say, you know what, God's been doing something in my heart and in my life too. And I'd like to celebrate that with my church family. That at the beginning of this week of Thanksgiving, I've got a lot to be thankful for. And it's not my own efforts. All I did was receive something that was provided to me. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. Not yet. But when I do, if that's you and you haven't registered and you haven't been prepared, but now in this moment, you feel that nudge in your heart. You say, hey, I think this is my spot. I think this is my moment. We want you to meet us in the lobby. There's already some folks that are registered to be baptized today. And if you're a part of the friends and family group of some of those people, you can stand and go to the lobby as well. And we're gonna celebrate in just a moment, incredible moment of baptism.
But before we do, I'm just gonna ask everyone in the room to bow your heads. Just close your eyes. A moment of reflection, a moment of surrender. We come to the end of Psalm 23. As you sit here in this moment today, if you say, you know what, I just, I just, I just need to receive the mercy of God. I need to receive his love and his forgiveness. It's not conditionally based. I don't want to stay the same way that I came in this room today. If that's you and you say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I want God to change my eternity right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. As soon as you lift it, you can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? And now I'm going to pray one other prayer. If you would say, you know what? I spend a lot of my time trying to earn God's love and I want to stop that. I just want to receive God's love that's already been provided. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Thank you so much. Man, there's a ton of us today. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for the richness of the text of Psalm 23. We thank you that you are our shepherd as we invite you into that role in our lives. We thank you, God, that you lead us and guide us to green pastures and still waters. You prepare tables for us, even in the presence of our enemies. You anoint us and provide for us. Your goodness and your mercy is extended to us, and you go to prepare a place for us. So God, we thank you for this incredible text. Let us hide it in our heart. Let us be reminded of it. Lean into it. Would it be a foundation for us? And God, now I pray for every person that's acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Would you forgive their sins and truly be their Lord, leading and guiding their lives as the good shepherd from this day forward? God, we thank you now for the decisions that have been made as they confess with their mouth and confess in their heart that they need you to be Lord. God, would you do that work? God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray a special prayer right now for those who are trying to earn your love, earn your forgiveness. They view it as a transaction with a conditional love that comes from you. And God, that's just not true. And so God, today I pray that they would rest in your love, rest in that relationship that they have with you. And that God, instead of striving to be loved by you, because maybe that's the way they've positioned themselves in other relationships, God, would they, would they just stop striving? Would they stop trying so hard and just develop a confidence and an inner peace that there is a surety, an assuredness, a concrete nature to your love? So God, we thank you that you chase after us, you pursue us. So God, I thank you for your love. And I pray that as those individuals leave this place today, that they would be filled with your presence, filled with the confidence of your love. God, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.